morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good, good. All right, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time here, welcome. We're super excited that you're here with us this Sunday morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark 5. We're going to be looking at Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the center aisle. Feel free to ask someone in the center aisle to hand you one. The verses will be on the screen as well. And this morning, we're continuing our series uh, where we've been uh, the last couple of months actually looking at the Gospel of Mark. And our sermon series is entitled Journey with Jesus, where we're looking at the life of Christ and also the journey that he invites his followers to join him on. So if you were here last week, you know that we talked about the passage leading up to Mark 5.21, and that's Mark 5.1 through 20, the, the famous passage of uh, the healing of the demoniac. And what we see in that passage is, is Jesus takes the disciples and they commute, if you will, eastbound on the Sea of Galilee through stormy seas. Jesus calms those seas and they arrive at shore and they meet a storm of a man, a man uh, oppressed and possessed by the demonic. And Jesus uh, goes to this region of the Gerasenes. This was the gospel uh, breaking out of uh, the bounds, if you will, of Judaism into Gentile, unclean territory. And what Jesus does is he, he uh, uh, exercises the demonic and heals and liberates and saves an unclean man who's living amongst the dead. And uh, he does that at a great cost to somebody else's fortune of pigs. We see 2,000 pigs running to their their tragic death, all that bacon uh, drowning in the Sea of Galilee. And what happened was uh, a riot kind of stirred up in the town. And people were like, who is this Jesus that just landed on our shores and, and turned our whole, our, our whole world upside down? So Jesus travels eastbound Sea of Galilee, long day at work, dealing with demons, dealing with people now who are rejecting him, goes to the region of the Gerasenes, heals, liberates, and commissions one man. All that work for one Man, the, the town, to, to put it frankly, the town lunatic. That's where Jesus goes. Deliberate step, and he commissions that guy, go tell your story in the whole region of the Decapolis. And we see that he began doing that. And that's how the gospel began to spread. We see one of the commissioning of the first missionaries here to an unreached people. And then Jesus now begins his commute home, where we're at in Mark 21. Jesus is on his commute westbound, back to his home base, Capernaum. And uh, what we know about Jesus is he was human. It says in Hebrews, he was tempted like we are in every way. He had a human nature. He got tired. He got tempted. And I would imagine after a long day of work and dealing with all these, these, these messy, massive crowds of people that Jesus, as he's approaching the shore, the west side, the west bank of the uh, Sea of Gal uh, sorry, <clears throat> Galilee, that he might be a little, a little red-eyed, a little groggy, uh, maybe wrestling with the temptation of, oh, man, I really, hope there's, I really hope I can just slip by this crowd. I really hope nobody sees me. Maybe we can do like a ninja Navy SEAL landing and I can sneak to Peter's house and get some shut-eye, right? What about me? What about my needs? And what we see in Mark 5, 21 is this is what welcomes Jesus back. This is who welcomes Jesus back in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, beginning his commute back home, after a long day of work, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. If I was one of the disciples, even in the boat, and we're rolling up, and, we, and all the crowds are gathering because they recognize our boat, and they see us, and, and, and word's spreading. Everyone's uploading you know, their, 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 uh, the news on, on Facebook and social media because they had that back then, as you guys know. Um, and they didn't, uh, if you missed that. Anyways, um, uh, continuing, uh, if I was one of the disciples, I, I would look at that crowd and be like, oh, goodness gracious. Why? Because I'm prone to see people as a burden. I'm prone, and we all, that's why I can confess this, I'm prone to see people as an obstacle. 
And what we learn in this text is Jesus doesn't see us that way. And I was reading this. I wanted to read this with new eyes. I wanted to study this with new eyes. Who is this Jesus? Why is this Jesus doing this? And it was his love for people. Jesus didn't see us as a burden. These people as a burden. He saw them as a blessing. He didn't see them as obstacles. He saw them as an opportunity to extend the Father's redeeming and healing love to them. And this is what Paul Miller says in his awesome book, Love Walked Among Us. Uh, go on Amazon. Look up the author, Paul Miller. Buy everything he's ever written. All right? You can thank me later. It's tough to love people when they constantly come all up in your space. I add a little Nick Mudd flavor there. Demanding attention. But if we're always in control, deciding whom and when we will love, uh, then, is that a typo on that one too? Sorry. Anyways, yes, it is. Sorry. Then we, then we risk having a weak invitation of love. If we aren't open to our schedule being interrupted or our bank account tapped, then we might be fooling ourselves as to our own goodness. Love gives. I love this, this last line here. Uh, speaking about the text we're looking at this morning, Jesus selflessly opens his life to the needs of the least, the lost, the lonely, and the lepers. He not only touches them, he also lets them touch him. And so what we see in this text today is Jesus kind of selflessly opening himself up to the burdens, to the needs of others, uh, saying, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And my hope today is that we would see that the heart of our Savior, the heart of our Savior is this, is that he wants to be troubled by us because he's not troubled by us. And often we, we hold back. We don't go to him. We don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock because we think God's got more important things to do. When Jesus is saying, trouble me. And what we see in our text is all the people that troubled Jesus that experienced uh, the fullness of life that he offers. It was only the people that troubled Jesus because he uh, uh, his arms wide open. And there's an invite this morning that he's extending to us to say, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Come to me with your desperation. Come to me with your mess. Let me heal you. Let me clean you up. So let's pray and we'll dive further into this text. Heavenly Father, may we're just so grateful uh, for the grace you lavish upon us, us, us here, uh, uh, safe and sound amongst people we love, uh, singing uh, songs of worship to you. Uh, you, are, you are a good Father. You're mighty to save. And you, you are uh, steadfast in your love for us. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for sending, the sending of your son, Jesus, for, for a sinner such as myself. And so, Holy Spirit, I invite you to, to come in power uh, this morning. Thank you for your presence here. And we just pray that you go to work in our hearts, stir our affections for you, uh, Jesus. And, and, and uh, I pray that you'd magnify your son, that he would increase and I would decrease. And you would do the work that only you can do. And that was you, you change lives here this morning for your glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to dive right in, verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may uh, be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. So the picture we get, boom, they dock on the shore. And uh, we get this image here in this text of, of this one guy in the crowd. Uh, kind of pushing everyone out of the way, and everyone's kind of moving for him. He's uh, this guy known as Jairus, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and is begging Jesus to intervene in his life. But we have a key detail here that Mark gives us. He was a ruler of the synagogue. This means that this guy had honor. This guy had respect in the community. Uh, what that meant is he was essentially a lay elder at the synagogue. He was a guy uh, like Saju. If you were here a couple weeks ago and Saju preached, uh, he, was, he was a guy who had authority and respect and responsibility in that community. Someone who was, uh, you'd see 
uh, marching his way through a crowd, and you say, yeah, it's Jairus. Hey, he needs to go see Jesus. Let's step out of the way. And what we see, there's a contrast here, is that uh, there's a danger what Jairus is doing here. There's a risk with what, Jesus, what Jairus is doing here. A ruler of the synagogue throwing himself on the, uh, at the feet of Jesus, a new arrival in Capernaum, by the way, Jesus says. And two, the verdict was sh- assuredly was not out yet on who this Jesus was. There was lots of debate going on, especially in the synagogue, especially in the religious circles that, that uh, Jairus was uh, talking about. I'm sure on a Thursday night, there were plenty of debates going on amongst the elders uh, of that community, of that synagogue. Who is this Jesus? What are we going to do? How are we going to get him out of here? He's threatening our power, you know, whatever that is. Um, and, uh, and so Jairus is taking a huge risk here, huge risk. And in John 3, what's so funny John 3, if you know John 3, you see another ruler of, of, of a synagogue, uh, this guy by the name of Nicodemus, coming to Jesus at night, right? And the, and the, the text there almost gives you this idea of, of Nicodemus. He puts on like a cloak, and he gets like the, the fake uh, glasses and nose and mustache disguised, and he's marching to Jesus and be like, hey, I'm really curious, but I can't let anyone know. Like, tell me about, you know, what does it mean to be born again? And then all that stuff. But with Jairus, it's, it's, it's hey, I, I'm risking everything, everything. Why? Why is Jairus risking everything? Why? Because he, he is at the, the, the point of utter desperation and utter hopelessness. Why? His daughter is, is dying. It's every parent's nightmare. Every parent's nightmare. It says, my daughter is literally at the point of death. That, that, there, that there came a day uh, in, in, in Jairus' life and his wife's life where they're only, it says in, in the other, in Matthew and Luke, is his only daughter, that she fell ill to something we don't know. We're not told. And they're doing everything they can. If you've been a parent, and you have to passively sit by and watch your kids suffer, it is, it is awful, right? Like I can't even, I can't even take my daughter, to, a couple months ago I had to take my daughter to get her blood drawn, two years old, and I'm praying and I'm prepping, I'm super nervous and all this stuff, and, and, uh, and, and, and she's cool as a cucumber. They're drawing blood and I'm about to pass out and all this stuff, and, and they take the rubber band off, and, and uh, at, the, at the end of it, they're not giving her stickers, they're giving me stickers, you know? They say, hey, can I get a lollipop too, please? That was so tough. Uh, but for Jairus, this is, I mean, I, I, can't even, I can't even put myself in his shoes. I can't even imagine what he's going through in this moment. And the terror, the agony, the confusion. Why, God? Why, God? We're, we're praying for her. What's going on? Why is she not getting better? And the, and the pulse is growing fainter and fainter. And she's growing, uh, 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 getting white as a ghost. And I imagine Jairus and, and, and his wife are having a conversation about this Jesus who's, who's, a, who's a new rival in town. And, and, and Jairus is looking at his wife and saying, hey, I know we've talked about this Jesus. I know we've debated him uh, a little bit, who he is, what's he doing in our town, what's, what's all this ruckus about. But here's the deal, wife, babe, is I've seen some mighty things. I haven't just heard. He's done some stuff in, in the synagogue. I've seen with my own two eyes. And if he can do that for somebody else, maybe he can save our daughter. And you know what? It's worth the risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith, R-I-S-K. He's taking a massive risk, uh, uh, throwing himself at the feet of Jesus in, in broad daylight with everyone who respects him in that community around when the verdict on this Jesus is, is, is not resolved. And the text continues. Let me flip here. Verse 24b. And a great crowd followed him. So, oh, sorry. sorry for, so, so he asked Jesus to go with him to his house. 
And the picture we get here is Jesus goes with Jairus. It's almost like they hop in the ambulance, they turn the lights and sirens on, and they're marching, as they should be, to go save someone who's literally at the point of death. That's what they're doing. Sirens are on, ambulances, it is pedal to the metal, they're going, right? And what we see is a great crowd wanted to see. And so what it says here in verse 24 is a great uh, crowd followed, here, followed him and thronged about him. That word thronging is like a compressing, like they're in an instapot of people just compressing about them. It's like a, uh, an introvert's nightmare. This is my nightmare here. Uh, and there was a woman who had a, di- and so we meet a woman here. And there was a woman who had, a, had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So what we see here is en route to uh, save someone's dying daughter, someone who's well-respected in the community, that, that somebody, like almost the, the picture you get is like dives out in faith just to touch the fringe uh, uh, of Christ's garment as he's, as he's walking quickly, briskly, and she gets healed. A, a leap of faith, a dive of faith, a, 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 a reaching out of faith. And what's interesting here is we meet this guy, Jairus. Here, here's something we can't miss is we know his name. We know his name. He was well-respected in the community. He had a family. He had uh, wealth enough to have a home, provide for a family, to be an elder in the synagogue, well-respected. And then we meet the opposite of Jairus here. We meet the opposite of Jairus here, interrupting, interrupting the, the emergency vehicle and procession going to this guy's house. Uh, this is what Paul, Paul Miller describes this woman as the female leper, a female leper, essentially. And the way, uh, uh, what we know about this woman is that we don't remember her name. All we remember is her, her ailment. And, and here's the deal, is this ailment that she had, it literally cost her everything. It cost her everything. Uh, for 12 years, what Mark is saying here, she had some type of menstrual disorder or menstrual hemorrhaging. And what that meant was isolation. It meant uh, a continual and never-ending ritual uncleanliness, ritual impurity, meaning now she couldn't step foot in Jairus' synagogue for 12 years. She was not welcome there. Why? She would make it unclean. She could not touch anyone. Why? Because she would make that unclean. So isolation from a faith community, and then what most scholars uh, believe, and accurately so, is that she was single. Either she was single because no one, no guy could marry her because of her condition, or two, she was a widow and her husband had to leave her. Faith community, family, and lastly, finances. Well, Mark, Mark goes at length to describe that this woman lost everything. And not just lost everything, she's, 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 she's pushing her chips on the table to certain doctors, right? In the community. And, and, and what happens, what Mark's saying is she's actually suffering. Her condition is getting worse and worse, and the bills are piling up. And if you've ever had uh, some type of medical procedure and you don't have good insurance, you know what it's like to think, think all the bills are paid. Holy smokes, I'm glad that's over. And then all of a sudden you get a couple more bills in the mail. This one's from the hospital. This one's from the surgeon. This one is from who is this guy, Right? And you're freaking out. You're saying, I, 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 we're going into debt here to pay off all this stuff. And, 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 and mercy. I mean, can you only imagine the doctor she's seen 2,000 years ago that she's paying to see, right? She suffered greatly, greatly. This woman's plight is isolation from everyone. She's single. She's broke. Uh, she's not in a good state. 
and people would keep her distance from her. They don't want what she's got. She's unclean. Don't touch me. Don't you dare do that. And she too, listen, her and Jairus have nothing in common except one thing. Her and Jairus literally like really don't have anything in common except for one thing. They both took a leap of faith towards Christ. In their desperation, they reached out in faith to Jesus and experienced the fullness of the life that he brings us the one thing that they had in common. And listen, Jesus cared about them both. Jairus, you know, you could see Jairus uh, uh, and Jesus running with Jairus to his house. It makes sense. Oh, yeah, man, this is the elder. Yeah. But Jairus said, what about, what about this girl, right? Why are you stopping for him? And we're going to get into that, uh, stopping for her, uh, get into that in, in uh, a moment here. But here's the deal. She finally uh, uh, took a bet on Jesus. All of her chips on the table, she didn't have any chips except for her desperation, except for her, uh, her ailments, except for her, her, her everything. She said, I'm going to take a risky bet on Jesus and do what I should not do and reach out and touch a, a man in public. And it paid off. And Jesus accomplished in two seconds. Jesus accomplished in two seconds what doctors couldn't in 12 years. That's the power he has uh, to save. And he, and he ushers in uh, healing shalom, peace, restoration in this woman's life. So a quick commercial break here is, you know, one of the questions we ask in our community groups is, what do we learn about Jesus in this text? And for us, it's easy for, for us to be like, yeah, we see Jesus' compassion for the least of these, for the leper, and also for, for the ruler of this. You know, we see Jesus' compassion for the, the demoniac and for the Gentiles. We see that this gospel, this good news is for everyone. We see his compassion, right? But, but here's, here, here's the truth. We also see that Christ has the power to save, the power to heal, Physically, right? It's in the text. Now, do we believe he still does that? That's the question. And, and yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in James chapter 5, the elders, the rulers of the church, are actually given a command that if there are any sick among you, lay hands on them and pray for them so that they will get better. Church, we believe in a Savior who not only is mighty to save, but is also mighty to heal, who has the power and has the love to do that. Do we believe that? And do we believe that he still does that today? Uh, we, us in the Acts 29 camp, we're reformed, but we're also charismatics, baby. We believe the Spirit still operates in power. Come on. Amen. This is our Savior. This is our Jesus. He still does this. And, uh, oh, quick, just, oh, Nick, you know, you got to be, Let's be rational here. Let's be careful. Let's not give people false hopes. I'm saying everyone who gets prayed for gets, gets healed. It doesn't even say that in Scripture. Let's not try to rationalize our lack of faith. Amen. Right? Yeah. That's what it is. And, and I love my seminary, and it was great and everything, but what I found there is there seems to be uh, 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 this, this desire to be seen. I talked about this last week of just intellectual and rational Christians. You show up here on a Sunday morning with your hands in the air, worshiping uh, a, a person that you believe died for three days and rose again. Uh, you, you know, like it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to, to make that rational argument. And I believe that there is a reasonable faith. We have a reasonable faith. I'll give my, you know, like, like for sure. But at the same time, it's so funny when we kind of pick and choose when it comes to this book about what God can do and what he can't do. And I had to read a guy who said that God has sovereignly boxed himself in to this book. He doesn't operate at all except for in here. I'm saying, well, that book doesn't say that anywhere. There's nowhere in the New Testament where you have a disclaimer, a footnote from God that says, oh, hey, by the way, 
all that really uh, powerful, healing, uh, prophetic, spirit-filled work I did, I don't do that anymore. Don't believe that still happens. Sorry. We don't, we don't see that. Show me the verse. I've studied this. I had to write a paper on it. I didn't get a good grade. No, I'm just kidding. I passed. I hedged my bet, so I passed, and then I wrote like a, a Braveheart speech. It's my last call. Anyways, mercy. All I'll say is this, is, uh, is the one thing uh, I want to be guilty of is asking too much, Amen. not too little. Amen. And what I see in the words of Christ throughout his gospel is ask, seek, knock, trouble me, annoy me, bug me, come as you are, like, a, like a, a, a desperate widow or a neighbor at midnight, come knocking, beat down the door, ask, seek, knock, arms wide open, come to me with your mess. And so here's the deal. After the service, what we're starting to do here at the transit is we have prayer for anyone who needs or wants prayer after the service. And um, we do that because we don't want to lay hands on you and give you like words of affirmation. We do that because we live in a living God who's powerful to save and to heal, uh, to break the strongholds of addiction in your life, to, to heal physical ailments, to, to come in and, 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 and intervene in your life. That's why we pray, Christians. That's why we pray, because we have faith that he can and he will, and I've seen it. That's why, uh, that's why we do it. And so we're going to offer prayer after the service, and I want to just say, you know, there's been uh, sometimes up here, and, and, and just to be honest, I understand why we, we don't come up here for because I've never come up forward here at the transit to get prayed for. Uh, and so, but oftentimes, I'll be up here with whoever else is praying with me, and we'll just be talking about the weather. And it just breaks my heart because I'm saying, man, like, what if we're missing? What if we're missing out on experiencing uh, the life transformation that Christ has for us on a Sunday morning? That we're busy with our kids, or maybe, or maybe we're embarrassed about coming forward with our, with our ailments. But, but until we stop wearing masks here, we're not going to experience God in his fullness. Right? It wasn't until the demoniac came out of the cave. It wasn't until Jairus went out in public. It wasn't until the woman took the leap of faith. The faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You take the risk, you take the leap of faith, and God, God blesses that. Yeah, I believe so. And so if you're here today and you got, you got an injury, you got something you need prayer for, what's holding you back? right? What's holding you back? Because there's a difference when you go hiking in Colorado, hanging legs. You see the hanging legs, but behind the hanging legs are this thing called the sprouting rock. There's this waterfall coming out of the waterfall. And there's one thing to behold the beauty and say, I know this waterfall is awesome. And it's cool. And it's breathtaking. It's a whole nother game to get under the flow of that waterfall. Whole nother game. Again, it makes you uncomfortable. You might get wet. You're, there's some uncertainty there. You don't know, but it's a whole different experience when you actually go from knowing to trusting knowing to trusting. God is real. Our Savior is living. He's resurrected. Uh, the Spirit is present here. Do we believe that church? Do we believe that church? Why aren't we coming forward? Why aren't we, why aren't we, why aren't we troubling our Savior? Not that you need to come forward. Again. You can pray just where you are, right? But I would encourage you to do that, that we'd be a people who, who would not dare think that our Savior does not want to hear from us. When, when, he, went, when, he, when he bore our wrath and our sins on the cross, and died and rose again for us, and yet he, he wants to keep his distance from us? Doesn't want to, to speak into our lives and usher in healing and, 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 and life transformation? Come on, people. It's God's word. I'm just delivering the mail, all right? And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at jeff at transitchurch.com. 
All right, I'm done. All right, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, Jesus emptying himself of power, he gets emptied so another person gets filled, foreshadowing the work that he was going to do on the cross, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So the picture we get is this woman wanted a fast food healing, right? She drove up to the fast food window, said, hey, I want a number one entree of healing, supersize it, grabs the garment, and then books it, right? And, and tries to get out of there. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 that's not how this works. That's not how this works, this whole relationship thing. It's not just about what you get from me. It's the fact that you get me that is the greatest gift, not all the blessings you get from me. And I think the reason she's hiding is, of course, there's shame involved, Right? She spent 12 years not touching anyone. 12 years of isolation from uh, the religious community. She was on the outside looking in on the religious community where Jairus was on the inside looking out. Completely different perspective. And Jesus loves them both. And, and so there's shame involved. How dare she touch this religious leader and render him unclean? Let alone a woman in broad daylight touching another man. So she, she, but, but listen, the faith she had, she heard reports. And, she, and it wasn't just enough for her to know about what her friends were saying. It's like, yeah, man, I believe Jesus has the power to, I believe Jesus has the power to save. That's awesome. She went and did something about it, right? That's what the text is saying. She went and reached out and grabbed just a fringe of his garment, and that's all it took. Bleeding, boom, stop, healed. And Jesus senses that, and what Jesus does the insane, and he stops the, the emergency procedure. He's, it's, like, it's like he sees someone with a flat tire. They're going like 90, 66, eastbound, the gyrus at his house. They see someone with a flat, and Jesus is like, all right, guys, we've got to turn off the lights, pull over here, and Jesus is on the, you know, like cha changing the tire. When someone's, someone's daughter's dying, and he stops. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what? Jesus, the disciples are freaking out, saying, Jesus, have you lost your mind? <laughs> you're, saying someone, you're saying someone has touched you? Jesus, everybody's all up in your business. It's like you're swimming in a sea of people, and you're saying, who got me wet? Right? It's, it's, the crowd is pressing her in or around you, right? That's the response of the disciples. Like, hey, what are you doing? This is embarrassing. And then Jairus has got to be losing his mind at this point. Jairus is counting down the minutes, continually obsessing about his daughter. Is she still alive? Is she not? Is she not? And Jesus is stopping to see if somebody touched him. And uh, here's a dangerous truth, a uh, challenging truth that we see in this text is, listen, there is a whole crowd surrounding this Jesus, and only one person who touched him got healed. A lot of people close, a lot of people uh, grabbing a hold of Jesus, one person grabbing a hold of him in faith, experiencing the fullness of life he has to offer. Now, the challenge I have for us is there's a, I'm sure there's some of us in here who have been, who've been uh, Facebook stalking Jesus for a long time, right? We're close, right? We've been in the church for a, a long time. We know we, we've, we've equated our Christianity with just learning fun facts about God. But we've never personally reached out a, 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 a shaky, trembling hand of faith and saying, here I am, Lord, your will be done in my life. Whole lot of people close to Jesus, one person got saved. Whole lot of people touching him, one person experiences his healing touch. Would today be the day of salvation for some of us here who, who would finally, finally take that leap of faith and move from just showing up here on a Sunday morning thinking church is just about uh, uh, what we do here on a Sunday morning when, when God wants so much more for your life? Does it, and that's what we see with his desire for this woman, his heart for this lady. Instead of just letting her go her, uh, her own way. 
And because the point I want to make is there's a big difference, church, there's a big difference, even for Christians uh, who do know Jesus. And I have a tendency, there's a huge difference between knowing Christ and trusting Christ, knowing what he's capable of doing and actually believing it, right? And this is a continual imperative for the believer. We put our trust in Christ. We don't look at the winds and the waves. We look at the person in the boat with us. It's not just what we do at the point of faith. It is is our faith. It's trusting, it's believing. And so uh, the reason Jesus stops this whole procession is he has something far more better in store for this woman than just physical healing. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the the whole truth. So this woman, it has to go public now. Uh, And she confesses everything and and, and, and it is fearful and it's trembling. She's probably assumed uh, ill intent of Jesus that, oh my gosh, Jesus, I've been found out. I did what was wrong. I troubled this teacher. I've rendered him unclean. I've done the one thing I shouldn't have done. The one thing I didn't want is I got found out. And Jesus makes her go public, right? And and the response of Jesus is is imperative here to to unpack. I mean, just the grace that he has for this woman, the love he has for this woman. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, Jesus calls a woman he has never met in his life, never met in his life before, daughter, daughter. What's happening there? He's giving her a new identity, baby. He's saying, he's saying you reached out in faith for healing, but, but, but here's the thing, you got a whole lot more than you bargained for. You got a life-transforming relationship with me. What your, what your heart truly needs, that's actually your greatest need. And now you have experienced adoption into the family of God where you are my daughter. So you got us far more after just our physical wholeness. He's after our, 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 our spiritual wholeness. That is more important. That's what we see in the story of the paralytic early in Mark's gospel where the paralytic goes hoping to walk again. And, he, and first and foremost, he gets his sins forgiven. And then his friends are like, hey, that's not why we came, bro. The guy can't walk. And Jesus then heals the paralytic. That's this girl's biggest need, and Jesus wanted to, to make sure that uh, she didn't miss out on what, she, what her greatest need was. She's been adopted into the family. Jesus speaking to her in relational terms, calling her daughter a woman who, uh, who didn't have any family, a woman who didn't have any daughters, probably, and if they did, she was estranged from them. And Jesus looked at her in compassion as I said, daughter, your faith has made you well. That's what Tim Keller says about this, uh, this text. Jesus is saying to her, and he wrote an awesome book on Mark's gospel called The King's Cross. Uh, I highly recommend reading it as we go through uh, uh, this uh, series. Jesus is saying to her, your faith is what healed you, and now that you know that you are in a life-transforming relationship with me. There's all the difference in the world between being a a superstitious person who gets bodily healing and a life-transformed follower of Jesus for all of eternity. Huge difference. Huge difference. If you go to Jesus, he may ask you, I love this last line. If you go to Jesus, he may ask of you far more than you originally planned to give, but he can give you infinitely more than you dared ask or think. When you come to Jesus, you think some things might have to change. He's going to ask a whole lot more, but you're getting a whole lot more than you bargained for when you go to Jesus with, with just a touch of faith, a reaching out of faith. And he tells her, go in peace. Go in the peace of resting and your new identity. Uh, know that, that your father's never going to leave you, never forsake you. You are a daughter of God. Nothing can change that baby. That's your new identity. Daughter, she's healed. Welcome back into the community. 
Christ has reversed the curse of sin and death in our life. That's what Christ has come to do. The kingdom of God breaking in and reversing uh, the, the, the curse of sin and death in our lives. That's the victory he's proclaiming. That's the shalom, the peace he's restoring us back into the image that God made us. 35. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Boom. Tragedy happened. Jesus hits the brakes, uh, spends too long talking to this woman, getting to know her, woman that's been isolated, no one really cares about, Jairus well respected Jesus, spending a whole lot of time uh, uh, dealing with this woman. And, and, and the tragedy happens. And the friends come and tell Jairus this line, don't trouble this teacher anymore. Don't trouble this Jesus anymore. Jesus didn't say, yeah, stop troubling me. Why are you bothering me with all these things? No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. There's that word faith, trust, believe. Jairus, we're just told his daughter died. Nobody comes back from the dead. Story's over. Tragedy happened. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. There's no coming back. Death has the final say, like it always does. Jesus, go do your thing. Jairus, come with us. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. Jairus is saying, do not fear. Jesus, my daughter's dead. What do you mean, do not fear? And some of us are in the same boat. Circumstances going haywire in our lives right now. Whether there's cancer, whether there's loss of a loved one, financial stress, marital stress, bondage of addiction. And Jesus is looking at us saying, do not fear. Jesus, what? Do not fear. What's the opposite of fear? Trust. Believe. Have faith. We had uh, something crazy happen on Friday. Don't need to go into too much details, but it, it just changed the course of our day. And thankfully, it wasn't anything as tragic as this, but it was kind of a, a financial mess, if you will, and uh, really stressful, really stressful. And uh, the Lord brought this verse to my attention in prayer in a unique way. And boom, so good. And this is what it says, Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Ooh, man, that's good. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at, at the, the size of the winds and, and the waves and the storm that's raging. Look to Christ, perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on you. Yes, Lord, this is happening, but I'm going to trust that you're in this. Yes, Lord, this is happening, but I believe you're going to work this out for my good. Yes, Lord, even if you don't intervene and change this, I still trust in your providence. And the worst that has ever could ever happen to me has already happened to me in Jesus on the cross, and the best is yet to come. Your name is, 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 is to be praised in my life. I'm going to keep my eyes on you in this crisis, not on my circumstances. Do not fear, believe. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of trusting is fear. Don't fear, have trust. Fix, shift your focus. Look to Christ. In verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, uh, the brother of James. It's game time. It's game time. Jesus is trimming the herd, and he, and he takes uh, 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 Peter, James, and John with him to the house and with Jairus. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing, Loudly in that culture, uh, there would be professional, like wailers, like mourners. You'd actually pay for them to like follow the coffin to the burial, and they had like flutes, and uh, women would like wail and 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 dance and like rip their hair out and stuff. And uh, anyway, so the pros are there, the professionals are there, meaning that 
the girl's dead. Pros, they, they do this like on a daily basis. You know, okay, cool. Let's, let's start. Let's, let's get the flutes going and, and start dancing or whatever. And Jesus, and when he came, uh, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So Jesus challenges the pros. I love this and goes, well, what are you guys doing? And we're, like, we're doing what we get paid to do, bro. We're the pros. What are you talking about? You know, this is, this is what we're doing. She says, no, no, no. Jesus says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And uh, when I was reading this, I was like, man, how dare they laugh at, at Jesus? How dare they do that? But then again, I was thinking, well, if I was there, I would laugh at him too. Right? What do you mean? No, she, she's dead, dude. She's sleeping. Oh, are you, do, you need, do you need some sleep, Jesus? Are you tired? No, she's dead. She's not sleeping. And we'll see. Uh, and what we learn in Matthew and Luke's account is that uh, she was dead. She, was, she wasn't sleeping. And we learn what Jesus is getting at here in the next text here when he says that she was sleeping. Verse 40. But he put them all outside. Cast everyone out. Does everyone get out? Only people that, have, that, that, that are there and committed. Uh, and he trimmed the herd because uh, I'm sure the, the house wasn't big enough for all the whole crowd to go in there. He put all of them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus goes, they select few, and uh, kneels down uh, and, and grabs a, a cold, lifeless hand of this little girl. And, and in Aramaic, what he says to her is Talitha, little girl. That's a term of endearment, term of endearment. Uh, my, my daughter, uh, going back to my Russian roots, when I wake her up from a nap, call her uh, little, little Kasalinka, Kelsey, or, or, or Kukulka Maya, my, my doll. And uh, that's what Jesus is saying here to this girl term of endearment. And he's doing exactly what the parents would do, waking her up from a nap. Say, little girl, let's go. Arise. Arise to new life with me. Because you better believe, you better believe when you die and you wake up and Jesus is holding your hand and saying, little girl, arise, that your, your life's never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. And what's crazy is this quote by, uh, uh, I love the way Tim Keller describes the power Christ has over death here. Jesus is facing death, the most implacable, inexorable enemy of the human race. And such is his power that he holds this child by the hand and gently lifts her right through it. Honey, get up. Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. That's the power that our Savior has. has that resurrection power. And this was foreshadowing uh, the work that Christ was going to do, where we're grabbing, uh, uh, he was actually going to be, uh, his father's hand was gonna be ripped from his hand, and he was gonna bear uh, the forsakenness uh, of God on that rugged cross for us, and rise, rise again, so that we could experience uh, dying to the old man and living the new life with Jesus. So death no longer has the final say in our lives. Our Savior, Jesus, does. 
our greatest enemy has been defeated on the cross and, and, and in the empty grave. That's our hope, Christian. That's the power of our Savior. That's what we're learning here about this Jesus. And what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is, uh, is that Christ's resurrection was the first fruits. It was the preview, it was the trailer of what is to come for us. That though we may uh, die, you better believe that for those who are in Christ, that Jesus, when we cross from this life to the next, is taking us by the hand and say, hey, rise, let's go. Get up. And this is, uh, I love 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. This won't be on the screen, uh, but I'm just going to read this and just challenge you guys to, to reflect on this. And, and here's the deal. If, if this isn't true, what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 is Christians are the most to be pitied. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, your faith is useless, is futile. Go home. Uh, don't go to church anymore. Watch football uh, on a Sunday afternoon or, you know, or go for a bike ride on a Sunday morning. It's completely pointless if Christ has not raised from the gra- grave and we don't rise with him. So he says, look it up, 1 Corinthians 15. And then this is what he says about uh, Christ ushering in victory over the one enemy neither of us could defeat. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, that's the hope we have in this living resurrected savior. He's got arms wide open this morning, right where you're seated. He says, come trouble me, come to me. There's only people that troubled this savior who's mighty to save, mighty to heal. There's only people that troubled him, that experienced him, experienced his healing. Reach out in faith, risky faith. What would hold us back? What would hold us back from that? This is the hope we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow. Thank you, God. Uh, who are we that you would go at such lengths to rescue us from sin and death uh, and, and from everything that is, uh, that, that is done in our lives? Lord, so we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your grace that you've lavished upon us through the death of your son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray uh, in this moment, right now, where everyone's seating that, uh, you just come in power, Lord. You change our hearts. You stir our affections for your Savior, for your Son, our Savior. Our, uh, your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to uh, stop believing the lies of the enemy, that we're unworthy to approach you, that we don't deserve to approach you, um, uh, that we're too messy to come to someone as, as, as perfect and holy as you. Uh, in Christ, you've already cleaned us up, Lord. And so we come to you just as we are this morning. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd heal people here physically, spiritually. you break chains that you show up in power and do what only you can do. Sanctify us. Sanctify us. 
for your glory, Lord. So we just we come before you grateful, and we come before you thirsty and hungry for more of you because we know that there's always more of you to experience and to know. And so thank you for that. Thank you for your grace, which is never ending. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.